Hi, this is Greg Lamond, and you're listening to the Velocast at the 2016 Tour de France with Scott Raw, John Galloway, and Ashley House. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Velocast analysis of the 2016 Tour de France. The sight of Fabian Cancellara leading home the peloton in his hometown of Bern was not to be today, which is fair enough as I don't believe that Fabian ever said he was expecting to win in his hometown today. Nor indeed was it a repeat of Mandela Day last year when Steve Cummings took the win for his African team, then called MTN Quebec, but now of course Dimension Data. The team's hope for the win, Mark Cavendish, was ruled out of the sprint by the nature of the uphill cobbled finish. What we did get, however, was another exceptionally close ending, this time between Peter Sagan and Alexander Kristoff, that had many convinced the Katusha rider had clinched it, before the camera on the line revealed Sagan's lunge was just enough to bring him the victory. I was convinced Christoph had it. Um, I I was absolutely convinced. And Ailsa, who's uh, off work today kind of thought it was Sagan and I kind of poo-poo what do you know about cycling women and of course that meant that I'm going to get slagged rotten for the rest of the night because she was correct and I was wrong um, Moreover it means that you get in the sack and Ailsa's coming on the podcast from now on <laughs> She'd be a lot better at prognostication than me I think Brilliant win from Sagan and all about the bike throw you know that bike was so far in, out in front of him he just about fell off the back of it and Christoph was still you know in acceleration mode and through just that fraction of a second I mean, Christoph's throw came just after the line. So this was a victory that was all about timing. And what a star Sagan is. I mean, absolute brilliant win. And you've got to say, what a star Fabian Cancellara is. We've moaned about him being a Jesse and, you know, wanting to stop the race at the drop of a hat in the past. Um, you know, And he's tried to do it in this race again. But today, coming into his hometown, he knew that the finish was almost like a classic. You know, there the were bits through trees, there were hairpin bends, there were cobbles, there was enough climbing to get rid of the you know, the, the really, really fast guys amongst the sprinters. Uh, but, you know, he was there. And he was there right up until the very end in and, and a point where you thought, if this was Milan San Remo, he'd be popping out you know, and, and, and going for a wee, uh, a wee solo effort. So he tried, but the, the fairy tale wasn't to be. And the other thing that came out of today is, I'm still convinced that Switzerland's too clean. I mean, the entire thing, I didn't see a bit of litter the entire day and we saw a lot of fairly dodgy looking roads that should have been covered in litter. I screen grabbed a a photo from uh, the helicopter today of a a train uh, going along the line. I said, I can absolutely guarantee that's on time because, you know, it's Switzerland. No, absolutely. It's it's unbelievable. It's like a chocolate box or something. (laughs) It would drive me nuts living there. Well, again, I was talking to someone and, and saying that you know, it is a stunningly beautiful country, but I think I'd probably prefer to live just across the border in France mm-hmm. so that I could just, you know, enjoy the, the, the French madness that, of course, goes on there and pop over the border when I needed a little bit of order in my life. Let's talk about madness. Etics quick step. Um, Today was a disgrace. 
I mean, how can Julian Alaphilippe look at himself in the mirror after wheel sucking <laughs> all day on Tony Martin's wheel? I think it was actually just he, he'd looked at his, uh, his training plan from his coach, and the coach, forgetting it was the Tour de France or something, had just ri- written in, you know, three hour motor pacing session or whatever. And he, you know, he wandered up. He said, Tony, if I give you 50 euros, will you motor pace me for three hours? That was amazing. I mean, great that the two guys got the, the joint combative award. But Tony Martin, in that kind of form, is just majestic to watch. Philippe at points looked like he had difficulty holding Martin's wheel going along the flat and only popped out the front whenever the road went upwards to give wee Tony a rest. <laughs> and when the the break eventually you know, was within spitting distance, I mean... Tony Martin, he didn't go lightly, did he? I mean, Alaphilippe finally gave up the ghost when it was clear that, no, his mummy wouldn't be able to make the pain stop. But Tony was like Charlton Heslin at an NRA convention. You can have this stage when you pry it out of my cold, dead hands, you cycling bastards. It was, I mean, it was beautiful to watch. I mean, great, um, great theatre. Um, I, I think, I mean, I was just chatting to Ashley. You haven't had a chance to, to listen to it yet. And Ashley said that he couldn't believe that, um, you know, the two riders thought they'd, they'd make it stick. I, au contraire, I, I think they really, <laughs> really thought they could make it stick. And Tony Martin was out for that stage today. And, you know, he's, I think an indication of how strong he was is you look at the average speed. What was it, 47 kilometres an hour or something? Just yeah. stupid, stupid fast. That was Tony Martin. We've said he doesn't look at his best. And I think it's because he's been doing so much work for the likes of uh, Marcel Kittel. But today, you know, we saw the Panzerwagen out to play and it was majestic and it dragged the peloton along to, you know, absolutely horrific speed. But it was just, what, 20 kilometres too far? Just not quite as, uh, you know, as, as heartbreaking as some of the close runs we've seen from him in, in the past. But he was certainly going for it. You know that silence, that that literal absence of sound that fills the room when your computer finally finishes powering down and the fan stops whirring? Mm -hmm. That's the sound I heard when Tony Martin was finally caught today. It was that... And then there was nothing. I can't remember who who said it on Twitter, but somebody thought that there might be an app on Alaphilippe's Garmin where he could just, you know, key in the speed that he wanted the Tony bot to go at. (laughs) (laughs) He is, I mean, we're joking, but he sits on that thing like a machine. I mean, just, he looks so relaxed with his arms, you know, draped in time trial position over the handlebars. Rock solid upper body, legs going like pistons. He is, other than his his gaping gob, actually every bit as beautiful in a time trial machine as the likes of Bradley Wiggins. And you know, I used to rave about Wiggins' position in a time trial machine. Greg LeMond was the same. I was watching uh, the 1992 time trial where Miguel Indurain earned the reputation as, you know, the extraterrestrial. LeMond's position was lovely as well, but Tony Martin, I could watch him pedal a bike all day. Well, as I've said before, and we I, did I actually. Don't think <laughs> we did indeed. <laughs> we did watch him pedal a bike all day. Um, I think I've said before regarding the gaping mouth. I'm not convinced there's not a hole in the back of his head, which is an exhaust port. I mean, and coming back to that that comment regarding all the work he's had to do across the past couple of weeks for Etics Quick Step, I think going back to Fabian Cancellara, the same could be said today of of him because you talked about you know this being had it been a, a Milan San Remo you would have expected Cancellara to just pop out the front and, and take it mm-hmm. that of course is a Milan San Remo that exists in isolation it's a one day event 
with with Cancellara today and and in fairness Tony Martin as well, they're coming to the end or of the of two weeks where they've had to work day in, day out in support of their, their individual teams. So it really wasn't a surprise to me that the road was just too long for Tory Martin and, and Cancellara today, but, but brilliant from both. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that uh, Persigan is now clearly nailed into green. Um, you know, he's he's absolutely got the thing won. I've got to say that we're now in that horrible situation where uh, we've achieved the criteria that Oleg Tinkov set for staying in the sport. Um, and we saw again today Oleg being an absolute tit whenever the camera points at him. I mean, I, I, I wanted to leap through the television and punch him today. But I'm really hoping that he reneges in his promise to stay in the sport because, yeah, we like his money, but I'm, yeah, just he should just go away. You know, just... I think just to assuage your fears that um, the Cycling News journalist Stephen Ferrand had already emailed him about this when he said it initially, I think back in week one of, of the tour, and Oleg replied, absolutely, definitely not. Although, knowing Oleg, that means nothing. So, probably back as you were, folks. I'm sorry I brought that up. Yeah, I mean, but Sagan is, he's just a legend now. I mean, I think we are seeing the flowering of what we expected. You know, he's developed into the, the kind of complete rider that will make him uh, the equal of the likes of Sean Kelly when we look back in 10 or 15 years once he's retired. You know, we'll look back at a Palmaris that will mark him out as one of the greats. And so good to see him winning instead of just being pipped for second. Uh, just such joy out of the sport. I love watching Sagan. Uh, to move away from Sagan, Tony Martin, Cancellara, etc., etc., um, there were a, a couple other riders that I think we should have a, a quick mention of today. Ray Costa had a, a go with twenty-one kilometres gone, and I mean it was a it was a hopeful at best um, go at at winning the stage. But you know, Ray Costa's done this kind of thing before, and he got up I think to around fifteen twenty second ad- advantage. Mm, yeah, I mean, it was a good effort. And I think, um, you know, the fact it was in Switzerland, we know he goes well in Switzerland. Um, but, it, you know, that also doomed his effort because I think it was I Am who finally closed him down, wasn't it? And they would be super motivated both by, uh, you know, Jarlins and Pantano winning just the other day um, and also by the fact that, you know, they're on home soil. They're going to sh- try and show to a Swiss crowd and they're disappearing at the end of the year. So uh, it was a good effort from Rui Costa, classy rider. Um, uh, but it was never going to stick, was it? No, and the other rider I wanted to mention, because I actually thought just for a moment that it would stick, was Set Van Mark going out with, I think, about 1,500 metres to go. Now, that's the kind of rider that you don't want disappearing off the front with that kind of distance. Yeah, and it really looked like it, was, it would have stuck. And I think if uh, Navaradouskas hadn't taken off after him and he'd got you know, maybe another 10, 20 bike lengths, who knows? I mean, we might have had that thing where the, the peloton, and it ended up as a very small and very, very elite peloton. I mean, the finale was hard enough to pull out, you know, just the very best in this tour into that final group. Uh, but if he'd got, you know, those 10 or 20 extra bike lengths, he might have been out of sight and out of mind. Um, so it was, again, a noble effort. I'll, I'll give him 9 out of 10. But, uh, you know, it, it was such a hard finale. I, I really wish I'd looked harder at the, the road book when we were doing our predictions yesterday. I mean, I think we both picked, uh, you know, the likes of Sagan. But that was, um, you know, it, it wouldn't have looked out of place in a Northern Classic, that finish. 
Well, I did say, in fairness to us, you know, it was a, it was a very rolling parkour, and and for that oh, reason, I didn't think actually, it was that hard. So. <laughs> well, it was only made hard by you know, the motor pacing <laughs> that, that Tony Martin was doing for for the entire peloton, really. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought the stage went, you know, as predicted, really, as, as I thought it would. I honestly didn't think that ethics would be out in, in the way that they were. And actually, it was, again, how many times have we said that's strange from ethics quite a step? Because what we saw was Tony Martin and Julian Alaphilippe out for much of the day. And the pace was so hard, actually, that it caused... Marcel Kittel to, to drop off the back and I have to at least give him plaudits for making it back on and being up there to contest the, the finish itself. Yeah, I mean Tom Steele's the, the DS had said that they didn't think it was a day for, for Kittel you know, from when they were on the bus uh, so that's why essentially uh, Tony Martin and uh, Julian Alaphilippe were, were just giving their head you know, they were told you know, go for it. Um, and I think they probably hoped for more than just the two of them. But I think, um, you know, this was definitely too hard for Kittle. The only sprinter I could have seen who would have been up there, um, other than the guys who were there, you know, folk like Michael Matthews, who's a good sprinter, but he's a more rounded kind of classics guy. Uh, people like Peter Sagan, uh, people like Christoph. The only other one I thought might have made a bit of, you know, a bit of an impact was Andre Greipel. Uh, but I think we could we could easily see the tour finish without Greipel getting a win, which would be a shame. He's only got the Champs Elysees left now. Yeah, I, I think after today, it was. I mean, other than as you say, the course the, the Champs Elysees. But given he he hasn't really kind of come to to the fore in, in any of the stages, it's looking like other than one two for a wee bit. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that just messes with my head every time someone says it. Um, it is looking like he's just been outclassed in, in the, the tour this year, which, as you rightly point out, John, is, is a bit sad. Now, uh, what about French? We need some French winners before the finale. I don't see that happening either, if I'm being perfectly honest. No, totally. I mean, I, I can see the likes of Bardet, um, you know, we, and we saw, uh, we saw some efforts today. But I, I genuinely think that Bardi looks good enough. You know, he was able to attack on the, the Columbia the other day, but he doesn't look good enough to, to take the win if, you know, hopefully a resurgent Nairo Quintana or Chris Froome decide to take it up. So uh, we could genuinely see a tour finish without a single French stage winner, which uh, is slightly weird because if you think about it for the last two or three years, you, me, everybody and their granny has been talking about a resurgence in French cycling. Yeah, exactly that. Uh, just one final thing on, on today's stage. I don't know if, like yourself, you were, to use a good Scottish uh, phrase, skelly-eyed watching not only the stage finish its well, uh, uh, itself, but also trying to keep an eye on who was in, or more pertinently, who might not be in the group that contested the stage finish because there was a split in the peloton and I did see, of course, Chris Froome there, but I was looking left, right and centre to see whether Nairo Quintana was, was also in that group. I couldn't see him at first and actually had to check the standings uh, to, to ensure that he was. Well, even now, I think the provisional standings gave out that front group with, was it fifty nine or sixty people in it, mm -hmm. um, and I haven't seen any, you know, any revised and, and final standings yet. So I'm going to check that as soon as we've, uh, you know, we've finished recording because I'm still not sure. You're right. I was looking left, right, and centre to try and see who'd missed the the break, uh, but you know, I think we we're going to have to wait until the official results go up. Uh, and just going back to to yesterday for a moment, if if I may. 
One thing we didn't mention was Chris Froome's cheeky wee non-attack. That really was cheeky, actually. Well, it was immensely cheeky. I watched that again today, and the only person who reacted was Quintana. Now, you could either say that this was a, a kind of fight-or-flight instinctive reaction, or just possibly it was a rare and unexpected glimpse behind the implacable mask and, and the only indication we've yet seen that Movistar actually do have a plan for the final week. I think they do. I think they're, they're working to their plan. I don't, I've seen no indication that Nido's uh, got the, the force to follow it through. I really hope I'm wrong. And he's actually just going to hit a massive peak after the rest day. Um, but that I, I went back again today as well and watched that from Froome. And it, when I watched it yesterday, my first thought was he'd hit a wheel. Um, and actually accelerated out of the group to avoid falling over. Do you know what I mean? Where you, know, mm-hmm, you think yeah, I'm going to yeah, go yeah. down, I'm just going to get you know put in a few pedal strokes yeah. and get enough momentum to right myself. But watching it again, I think he was just taking the piss, and that, that's I, I, vaguely I, I disrespectful. Know. Well, I, do, I don't know what he was doing. In fairness, but it was the the immediate reaction from Quintana that I found most interesting, and and what I'm suggesting possibly is that we have all been fooled by by Movistar or especially Nairo Quintana that has, you know, attacked yesterday that that I said was you know it wouldn't pull the skin off a rice pudding on on Monvolntu was actually further to lead Sky into a false sense of security about. Nairo Quintana just not having it and perhaps we're about to see him run absolutely rampant in, in the Alps. We can live in hope I mean I, I, I can't see it um, but I would I would love to be wrong uh, because it, it, I think it's been clear since they refused to attack in the stage in Andorra um, and they, you know, they did refuse. They openly came out and said, you know, they resisted attacking. That their plan was very, very, um, you know, biased towards these final hard days that are coming towards us. So I, I really hope that we, along with Team Sky and you know everybody else, have had the wool pulled over our eyes, because you know the, the gaps are still small. Um, you know that the. the Stages that are coming up are brutal. We saw last year that Nairo Quintana was capable of putting Froome into difficulty. I don't think Froome's uh, looking anywhere like as fatigued as he was at this stage last year. He's still mm. got you know a full Sky team with him, although you know they are starting to look a bit tired. Ashley said yesterday some of them looked absolutely in the bucket, but Froome for me looks far more capable than he did at this point in the race last year. Um, and Nairo doesn't look quite as sharp, but I really hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong and we get absolute fireworks for the Alps. Now, speaking of the man himself, I think it's time we hand over to someone who must be more sick of yellow than Coldplay. It's Eurosport Tour Extra presenter, Ashley House. Welcome as ever to Ashley House. Ashley, it looked extremely hot in Switzerland today. A hard day on the road, but a hard day for you as a commentator as well. Yeah, it's um, it's a beautiful, beautiful day in Switzerland. And what Sometimes for those people who have been to Switzerland or, or to the Alps in general, you'll know you get those these days that are so clear. And in the summer, you get them when they're really hot as well. And you can see Mont Blanc still covered in snow, just shimmering underneath the blue sky. It is absolutely magical, like a rhapsody of colours and rhapsody of nature. It's, it's phenomenal. It's a hard life, but somebody's got to do it. I tell you what, though, it was although it was lovely, you know, in terms of scenery, it was a hard day on the bicycle. Um, and Julian Alaphilippe and Tony Martin uh, made it even harder for themselves. But I think that's the first time in history that we've ever had uh, a double most combative rider awarded. 
Yeah, I think it might be. And, and bear in mind, on stage three, the um, Jerry Govan, one of the race directors who actually does the course, he wanted to award no uh, combative rider at all that day. That was the awful day, you remember, where they all mm. rode at about 30k, um, 30k an hour. And, and inexplicably, I think Thomas Vopler got the combative award that day for, for having gone on an attack for about five minutes. Um, but yeah, two today, and they're both from the same team. I imagine Ethics Quick Step, or Quick Step rather, and Ethics are incredibly happy in terms of sponsorship. I'm not entirely sure why they did it, if I'm really really honest. Um, And it would be good to to hear that. I don't imagine that they thought they could go alone for the whole 200 and whatever it was kilometers or just under 200 that they had left when they made a break for it. And in retrospect, I think they may wish that they'd let the other four catch them up, to be honest. Yeah, because, I mean, they let those other four hang out there for ages and ages before they were uh, hooked up by the peloton. But for me, today's about two men. Uh, One is Fabian Cancellara, who is, you know, riding towards his home today, actually was in with a shout. As as the race wound up, he was in that elite group that popped off the front up that technical finish. But, of course, we have to talk about Peter Sagan. Yeah, we do. And we have to talk about that finish, though, as well, John, because looking forward to today's stage, you thought, okay, on paper, it looks pretty pretty flat, pretty dull. It's going to be a bunch of sprint. But when you were actually mm-hmm. around here and you saw how steep that, very short, but how steep it was, the fact that there were the cobbles, there was a, there was a really nasty right-hand 90-degree turn just after a bridge. And, and it, they, the riders went round, as you might remember, and they went under some trees. And I thought, oh, my goodness, about four or five of them are going to go straight into the crowd there. I don't think they did. But it was pretty technical. It was pretty tricky, and it was very, very, very hard for a very short period of time. So we saw very quickly what, what I guess a lot of people would be expecting to be a bunch sprint, very quickly becoming it's not going to be a bunch sprint as we know it. And then, as you say, Fabian Cancellara was absolutely in with a shout. Well, you could see him, you could see his face in the middle of the picture or on the left-hand side of the screen first. Then he moved into the middle with about 3.50 to go. And then he moved to the... And I thought, he's got a space, he's got a space. And then he moved over to the right-hand side of the screen, the left-hand side of the, of the race route. And instantly he was blocked off. And I thought, damn it, there it goes. But it would have been great to see that. But, oh my goodness, what a world champion do we have in Pittis again. Oh my gosh. I mean, he's almost doing the inverse of what he did last year. You remember last year, he was second so often by just a, a hair's breadth or, you know, he was nipped at the line. And today he's doing that to other people. I must confess, I heard commentators call Christoph as the winner. I thought he was the winner and it wasn't until I watched it again that he just saw Sagan's bike throw, won the thing for him. And if Christoph had done the same bike throw, who knows what would have happened. But a great ride from Sagan and a really happy guy. Yeah, really happy guy. A phenomenal world champion, as I've said. Um, I know you say we had this thing, didn't we, last year until the welter when he eventually, when he got a stage early on. But we had this thing that he was always finishing second. Don't forget, he's won three stages here. He's also finished top three or four five other times. So mm. he's doing that as well. And the record for a number of stages won in a Tour de France is uh, Eddie Merckx, who did it twice in the 70s. Uh, Freddie Martins, I think, did it uh, in, in the 80s. And uh, a guy did it back in 1930. Pelissier, is it? A French guy. But all mm-hmm. of them, when you look at that particular tour, they won eight stages each uh, on those particular tours. But they also had so many second places as well. So a lot of talk this, this Tour de France has been, can we compare Mark Cavendish with Eddie Merckx Bernardino? Um, well, I don't think Mark would ever do that because... He, he hasn't won the Tour de France uh, and he hasn't had those kind of victories. It's, I'm not in any way denigrating what Mark has done. But, and again, 
this is maybe I'm, I'm exaggerating, of course, but you know maybe we can begin to think about Peter Sagan as one of the greats, not a, not the great sprinters, not one of the great climbers, but as one of the greats of cycling. And, I, and I'm saying that you know with with an enormous amount of appreciation for what the, those other guys did. But I really think we need to start thinking about him in those terms. Yeah, I mean, I've talked to a lot of people, um, you know, uh, Kelly and Kelly, of course, springs to mind, uh, about Sagan being very, very similar to Sean Kelly, who was, you know, who always heaps praise in Sagan. I think he's a very similar rider. I think we're just seeing the start of what he can do now. And the next few years, I think we'll see his Palmares just bulk up massively. Yeah, I watched, funny enough, so this afternoon, I watched, um, I watched the 1989 prologue from the Tour of Britain. Which uh, and and Sean Kelly, who was um, uh, who was actually thirty three then, I think, watching him go up the prologue, which was a very short uphill climb. Uh, his his riding style, as you said, actually quite reminds me of Peter Sagan. The shape's yeah. not that dissimilar either. Uh, the way they ride out of the saddle too, and the, the all the different kinds of races that both of those guys won. I know it's enormously unlikely, but wouldn't it be great if Peter Sagan just could somehow? win a grand tour <laughs> I, I tell you I wouldn't put it past him to win something like a tour of Spain uh, as, his, you know, as his career develops and he maybe loses a bit of weight but yeah that would be awesome um, now we're moving into the second rest day tomorrow as you look around yourself do, does it look like the guys need it after today yeah it does because because everyone was expecting and hoping for after a couple of diff- really difficult days, everyone was, or three or four difficult days, everyone was hoping for a relatively easy day today, winding down into the rest day, two hours riding tomorrow, and then back on the rollers on Tuesday morning, no, Wednesday morning rather, uh, and up we go for, for the first of the Alpine stages. I mean, goodness me, the Peloton did not get that today at all, did they? The average speed was up towards 50k an hour. Tony Martin and Julian Alaphilippe will not be popular amongst the peloton. There's no doubt about that. And yeah, the guys need the rest day. But I think today being so hard might actually make it a bit more difficult in terms of what do they do tomorrow because they haven't wound down as they were expecting to quite so much. It's blisteringly hot. And and that little punch at the end will have taken a bit out of their legs too. I think some of them are going to really struggle on Wednesday morning. We always have some unexpected things happening after a rest day. I wonder whether we might have a bit more. Yeah, and it's hard straight out of the box on Wednesday. You know, there's there's no transition towards the, the difficult stages. It just gets hard all at once. Yeah, it does. And, 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 it's, and it's a really nasty, nasty big uh, climb at the end as well, which we're all looking forward to, of course. Uh, one man who won't be there, and I'll, I'll bear in mind I've already predicted, I've already shared this gossip with you once this Tour de France. One man who won't be there on Wednesday morning is Mark Cavendish. He's got his plane ticket. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I kind of thought he might stay just because he's in such good form to get onto the Champs-Élysées, but that doesn't surprise me at all. He's got other objectives, and, you know, you were saying you can't compare him to Eno or Merckx, but I actually think he's the best sprinter of the sport has ever seen, and we can't begrudge him getting away early to prepare for the Olympics. Definitely not, absolutely not. I wondered whether had he won today, and I didn't ever expect him to because I saw that those final 3K, but had he won today and Sagan hadn't been anywhere, and they would have been almost equal on points for the green jersey. But but Mark isn't here for the green jersey. He was here for that yellow one and to win as many stages as he could. So uh, if, he, if he gets on the plane tonight, don't be surprised at all. Well, get yourself down to the pub or the bistro or wherever you are tonight. And uh, we'll have a day off tomorrow and we'll catch up with you after the stage on Wednesday. But I think uh, you, and, you and Juan Antonio deserve some rest as well as the riders, job. 
Thanks very much. Kind of you to say. One thing I will say, talking about uh, you're mentioning having a bet on Mark Cavendish for the for the Olympics. I'll tell you one one bet I would definitely have, and that is for Peter Sagan to win gold in the mountain biking. I was talking to Juan Antonio about it yesterday, and he Juan Antonio said no amount of training that anyone else who's riding in that event can possibly do will give them the condition that Peter has by the time he gets to Rio. Not only the condition, he's in extraordinary form. And when he gets there, I think there's a week or so at least that he's got to scout the course as well. So he's going to be yeah. in, in best, better condition than anyone else. He's going to be in better form than anyone else. He's probably a better rider than anyone else. And he's going to be able to uh, scout the course and know exactly how to ride it. I think he's nailed on for gold in the mountain biking. I would love to see that because that's that complete rider thing that we were talking about earlier. I mean, that is one event. I'm not particularly excited about the upcoming Olympics because of all the shenanigans with, you know, anti-doping and the governance of the sport. But the, the mountain bike race with Peter Sagan is one that I will definitely have the television on for. Yeah, absolutely. We'll definitely all be watching that. It should be great, actually. I'm really looking forward to that too, definitely. And um, uh, if it blows, it sometimes blows quite a wind, um, actually, in, in Rio as well because of where it's situated geographically. And if he's collecting that gold medal with his, with his golden mane flying about behind him, you can pretty much guarantee he'll be in a L'Oreal advert or something as well. <laughs> uh, because he's worth it. We'll talk he to is him worth Wednesday, it. Actually. <laughs> what a great way to end the chat. Brilliant, John. Well done, mate. Okay. So the top 10s for today. Peter Sagan takes the win ahead of Alexander Kristoff. Sandra Holst-Enger was in third. John Degenkolb was in fourth. Michael Matthews in fifth. Fabian Cancellara came in in sixth. In seventh place was Sepp van Mark. Maximiliano Rusheji was in eighth. Edvard Bosenhagen came in ninth. And in tenth was Greg van Avermet. No changes really to the general classification after stage 16. Chris Froome still leads ahead of Baukamolema by 1 minute and 47. Adam Yates is still in third at 2.45. Naira Quintana sits in fourth at 2.59. Alejandro Valverde is in fifth at 3.17. Roman Bardi is in sixth at 4 minutes and 4. Richie Port is in seventh at 4.27. TG Van Garderen in eighth at 4.47. Dan Martin sits in ninth at 5 minutes and 3. And rounding out the top 10 is Fabio Aru at 5 minutes and 16. Tomorrow is the final rest day of this year's Tour de France, but the relief that will surely be felt by the peloton will be tempered by the knowledge that upon their return, they face the beginning of a torturous series of stages that will decide the outcome of the entire event. Stage 17 leaves Bern and travels 184.5 kilometres across four categorised climbs to finish atop the Orcat Fino Emerson, but not before waving a cheeky hello to UCI headquarters in Eagle as they pass along the way after the rest day it's just it gets stuck straight in you know there's no uh, transition into difficult stages you have those usual questions about are the legs blocked you know did you use the right recovery protocol which as we heard Ashley say will be difficult after today because this stage will have been a lot harder than I think the teams were expecting thanks to, to Tony Martin I don't think he'll be getting many Christmas cards from some of the teams this year uh, so you know, we're, we're going to get the answer to the questions that we posted before we heard from Ashley. You know, is Nairo Quintana bluffing? Um, are we going to see a French victory? Is Roman Bardi up to it? Um, but today, or on Wednesday rather, there's no place to hide in that finale. There's no dissent uh, in the way that we've had in some really difficult stages so far. It's just, you know, that slog to the line. Who's the strongest? Is it going to be Chris Froome or is Nairo going to take the race to him? It's, uh, it's fascinating. <sighs> 
It is indeed fascinating. I want to bring you back to comments I think that were made yesterday by Kim Anderson from Trek, and they seem to kind of indicate that they were perfectly happy mm-hmm. with Baukamolama's position. And I don't mean that in a, oh, we're really happy about how he's doing. Of course they are, but we're comfortable and we don't want to, tr- you know, try anything that may upset this particularly unexpectedly full apple cart. Yeah, they sounded very risk-averse. Um, you know, and that's that's the risk with the importance of the Tour de France is that a third place or a fourth place in the Tour is arguably worth more than a victory in, in some other races. Uh, so when you've got a Baukamolama, who I think we can all agree has exceeded expectations in his performance in this race, in with a chance, you know, a really solid chance of standing on, on you know the second step of the podium when the race reaches Paris. If, if you're Trek, you've got to think, Actually, we didn't think we were even going to come close to this. Let's just defend it. Uh, my my hope is that Bowker will. He's looked really aggressive out in the road. That he himself will actually, you know, take the race to the other guys, and also, you know, Nairo Quintana will, you know, as he responded to that dummy attack from Chris, will actually participate as opposed to just following with, you know, the odd ineffectual dig that we've seen so far. I was, I mean, I was disappointed with that statement from Trek, but you can completely understand it, you know. If they, well, I, if they'd do, been yeah. told at the start of the race, you can have your man in second, they've bitten your hand off. Yeah, I mean, I, the reason I brought this up, there was a, a cracking set of tweets from Brian Smith, the, the former rider himself, of course, and MTN interim DS, where he was, I think, and you know, in my opinion, quite right that this idea that finishing in the top ten is worth something needs to go from cycling because we have, we're seeing far too many teams that are risk-averse and sticking rather than twisting and, and risking all. And, I, I, you know, I saw a fair few people in lots of conversations last night talking about one of the great things about Contador, for example, is that he just says, I'm betting the farm. You know, thinking back to that stage of the Vuelta where he just took everyone by surprise and and went for it. And he could have fallen spectacularly from grace in the general classification, but he risked it all and he went home with a Vuelta win. And I think this idea in cycling that a top 10 finish is respectable has taken too much of a hold for, for some guys. And, and I understand why they do it. It's because... When thinking about their agents and when thinking about contract negotiations coming up, they can point to a, a sixth place in general classification in the Tour de France and say, hey, look what I did. Yeah. But, I mean, there is a greater argument, perhaps, to say that if you're, if you're the guy that risks absolutely everything to go out on a, a crazy Vaucler-esque suicidal attack with the hope and ambition that you actually might take the biggest prize then that's still attractive. That's somebody that is prepared to risk it all for for the benefit of the sport and for himself and his own team's personal glory. It might not succeed, but that's the kind of thing that fans love to see. And I would suggest that it should be much more attractive to, to DSs the world over. Yeah, but it's all about points and money, isn't it? Um, you know, that's what needs revised. And a pox on your points and money, frankly. Well, no, I, I completely agree with it, but I, I, I can understand it. I, I really wish um, that we had more riders who weren't... I mean, if you look at Baukam Olema, presumably he was on you know, a slowly declining salary scale as he, he failed to live up to you know, inflated expectations that had been put upon him due to some strong performances. Um, and now 
you know, it's like Christmas is coming for him. You know, next year, if he finishes in second, his value is going to go through the roof again. Um, there are very, very few, and I'd put, you know, Contador, uh, Chris Froome, and Nairo Quintana and Alejandro Valverde, you know, primarily amongst them, who can afford to ignore their position, you know, because they are secure enough, they've shown their class frequently enough that the team are prepared to, to cut them some slack. Uh, and those guys can go, you know, on the, the mad escapade that saw Contador win that Vuelta. Because he knows, everybody knows he's Alberto Contador. He doesn't care if he's 10th or 1st, you know. Um, but, but see, I, I would argue that that's... That as an argumentative position, is the cart before the horse because these guys, like Contador, have established themselves oh, as, yeah. as being um, worth the money that they get by being exactly that kind of rider. I by completely going. agree with you. I completely yeah. agree with you. It's just that the culture of the sport now is about points winning prizes and prizes being more, you know, more money. Um, and not everybody has the luxury of, you know, being able... To, to be the horse in the right place in front of the car. You know, there's, there's a lot of people for whom they've got a short career, they want to make the most money they can. This is why we saw Nico Roach trying to be a GC contender when it was obvious from very early on, anybody with you know a decent set of eyes, that at best he was a decent rider in the one-week tours, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think we could probably spend days... I think we on, have on, in the past, <laughs> on, on relatively frequent occasions. <laughs> well, what I was going to say is one thing that this tour, you know, up until this point, Point has kind of thrown up is you know these kind of reactions and these kind of of talking points and maybe we should table uh, to to come back to it at at some point in, in the future once the the tour is finished uh, and I want to drag us kicking and screaming back to the stage after the rest day and get some manner of, of prediction from us both as to to what's going to happen. Um, right, I'm going to be really, really optimistic. I think Nairo Quintana is going to take 30 seconds out of Chris Froome. Uh, I think it's it's the easiest of the Alpine stages, and and that's saying not very much to be honest with you. Is they're all difficult, but you know, kind of looking at the parkour, that little wave as they go past to to Eagle does make it somewhat of a stage of two halves mm -hmm. uh, once they, they leave Marthony it's it suddenly becomes serious and I hope like yourself for the the sake of the the interest in, in the GC that Movistar do come to, to play when we come back from the rest day so maybe 30 seconds is a bit optimistic but I still see Quintana winning it, but maybe with Froome in closer attention and uh, giving Chris Froome something to, to think about over the next couple of days. And what I would love to see is, you know, Bauke Mollema participating in a, a real dogfight between the, the top GC guys and maybe some of the folk like uh, Richie Port or, um, you know, Barty, who are a wee bit further back, having the guts to, to you know, to, to really go early. Uh, not necessarily, you know, multiple climbs out, but go early on the final climb. I mean, there's there's loads of ways it could play out. I really hope we start to see a race. Um, and it, part of it is Sky are really strong, you know, and it's hard to attack when they're going that fast. But at some point, you have to decide if you want it or if you're just riding for second and third. And I think we'll get an answer to that question on Wednesday. Well, thank you for joining us today as Peter Sagan stupidly allowed for the possibility that Oleg Tinkoff might stay in cycling, the damn devastatingly handsome fool that he is. Join us again following the rest day as we look back at all the action from Stage 17 in another edition of The Velocast. <laughs>